Principles to me was one of the first pandemic adjacent creative acts that really made me be like, whoa, this is really cool. Like someone is sort of taking all the different technologies out there, creating audience and like doing regularly scheduled things. And I was just curious about how you think about the project in your head and how it's been received by people who you talked to. Well, I don't know if we were the first or anything like that. I think we're one of the only ones that was trying to connect multiple people in multiple locations live in real time. I think most of the other stuff was either single person or group in a single location streaming live to YouTube or stuff like that. I don't remember the order now, but this was last March. I can't remember if their Experimental Sound Studio had announced theirs yet, that they were doing their live streams or if it was just a little bit before, around the same time. That was like right when the pandemic first started. I posted something to Twitter just offhand one day, was thinking about it and remembering the stuff that Rob and John and I did with I Love Presets years before with Ninjam and just asked if there was anything like that that people were using to do live streams or live collaborations or stuff since we we're all going to be stuck at home and there's no shows and that. I guess I was thinking live stream, but I was also kind of thinking like, this is something to do. I'm at home and bored and wasn't working like everybody else. Threw it out there on Twitter and then kind of forgot about it. And nobody responded. What's Ninjam? I think I got one of those. Like three days later, my friend Jake Rodriguez, who's out in the Bay Area. Another person, actually, I think I met through Dead Tech when he was on tour. The first time we met was him playing at Dead Tech. Oh, yeah. Nice. So Jake is someone I've known forever and played in groups and toured with and things. Jake sends me a message out of the blue and says, hey, you know that thing you were talking about the other day, Ninjam? I didn't know what it was, but I went and looked it up and realized that, you know, I had all the stuff to, to make it work. And he's like, I got a, I've got a Ninjam server set up right now. Uh, what are you doing? You want to test it out? <laughs> this is like 11 o'clock at night on a Monday or something like that for me. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So we sat around playing with it for like an hour, playing together, messing around. We got really excited about it really quick, just that we could do it. You know, the last time he and I had played together was when I was out on the West Coast, and that was 2014, I think, something like that. So it's been about six years since we had even played together, and it's just fun to do, to reconnect and, and that. A couple of days later, we roped in my friend Matt, who's in Fargo, did another little jam session, a little more serious that time. But again, just testing things out. See, hey, can we have three people on here? And that worked really well. And at that point... Jake and I were just like, hey, you want to do a show? You guys may have mostly just been using the shortened term for the name of this collaborative. Oh, yeah. Right. What's the full name of the enterprise? It's Principles of Non-Isolation in Audio. Mm -hmm. Jake threw that one out, and I just went, okay, yeah, that works. Oh, just so people can find it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a little convoluted to find it because there's no like Principles of Non-Isolation in Audio website. Right. Mm -hmm. We really did it seat of our pants. Like a lot of the things I've done like this, stuff fell together at the mm -hmm. right time. And we all said, yeah, let's do it. And we'll figure it out as we go. So Jake already had some stuff set up. The soundcrack.net website and blog was something that he did years ago. He had a project where he was like basically doing a blog of live taping shows in the Bay Area. And he was like, well, I've got this. It's still there. Let's reappropriate it for this. And then I built a page on my website. It's got a calendar and stuff like that. And we sort of bounced stuff between it. We're both from that DIY kind of background of like, oh, we'll do it and figure it out later. Mm -hmm. This is going to last like three shows. 
build it with what we've got handy and you know figure out the other stuff later or whatever i've been overthinking that aspect of things a lot jason i thought that was a great point that you brought up which is i think often when we hear about someone's project we're getting some amount of like them backfilling in they're thinking about it they'll come up with the story of why sort of through the doing of the thing i feel so seen right now yeah i think that's like really missed i think there's a real power in just doing and through the doing figuring out what it means or how to structure it or how to talk about it but so often we're sort of presented with like I had an idea and then I did the idea. I think that's actually happens less frequently than people propose because it makes them sound not so thoughtful or it makes them sound something. I don't know what it is. Jason, I've always been inspired really in a way by your willingness to to be like, let's try this. I mean, I think that's how the band you and I were in. I love presets. It was just sort of like, well, let's try it. And then we ended up playing for like eight years or something. That honestly is everything i've ever done i'm pretty sure has happened because i or somebody else said hey i have this idea and went okay Uh uh-huh yeah right (laughs) you know enemy was i was out of work i was living in a place that i couldn't afford the rent and needed to move and eric leonardson was like hey i've got room in my loft if you want to move in here it's plenty of space and i moved into this big empty floor of a building i was there for three months before we had our first show. And it was seriously just a, I'm in a space. I have to have shows because that's what you do when you have a space. Mm -hmm. There wasn't any more thought to it than that. It was just like, okay, do this. I've never, I booked shows at Rob's place, which was me calling up Rob and saying, Hey Rob, can we do this show? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I mean, I already have a key to your house. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone in Chicago does. Taylor, you were saying you were so seen and I was curious. I wanted to make sure you had some room to talk about that. Oh, well, also I wanted to mention before I forget it, Jason, I was trying to figure out how we'd seen each other. I know I'd been to Enemy at least once. That was the space up in Wicker Park, not far from Heaven, right? Do I remember that correctly? We were the four directly above Heaven. What Wicker Park era are we talking about? For those unfamiliar with Chicago, Wicker Park is now thoroughly, thoroughly gentrified. Although there's this sort of Chicago phenomena, maybe it's elsewhere too, no matter how gentrified a place gets, there's always going to be a couple of cut-rate furniture stores that have knockoff SpongeBob. They're like little statuettes. Anyway, so so where, did you get into Wicker Park before it totally went sideways? I moved in 2004, and that was mm-hmm. probably the end of one era and the beginning of another right there. I think Wicker Park went through a really long, slow slide into the abyss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Still kind of underway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time you think it can't get worse, it gets worse. Enemy ran till like 2012. Mm-hmm. I lived there another two years and my roommates kept going and we kept booking shows. So it was just kind of like, even though I officially did like, uh, this is the last show ending. Mm-hmm. Then I booked like five or six shows after ryan my old roommate is still in that space and up until the pandemic started every once in a while i was still booking things there did you get out because some part of you was craving a more stable living space or this could be a long question you don't have to answer <laughs> wicker park changed when i moved in there was one 4 a.m bar on the block and that was yeah. on the weekends by the time i moved out there were like eight <laughs> yeah and it was every night of the week yeah there's only so many times you can be woken up on Tuesday morning at four in the morning and you have to be up at 530 to go to work yeah. by someone, you know, 
screaming outside your window or having a fight or whatever you know drunks get up to at four in the morning uh there's only so much of that you can take a decade of that seemed like enough so there's just a lot of that and i think a lot of just itching for change yeah the thing is though if i could find a way to do it where i didn't also have to rely on having roommates and running the space that way Mm -hmm. if i found a space tomorrow that i could do shows in and live in i'd probably do it again I have an idea. Some large chunk of our creative lives have been spent putting on shows or doing shows with other people. And we have a bunch of listeners who maybe are thinking about this type of thing, you know, the pandemic. I I don't want to say there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but maybe there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We could say that. And so maybe, you know, creative spaces might be happening again. What if each of us offered one item of advice for the prospective creative space opener? What would we each tell that person? I mean, I think my advice mostly comes from watching you, dude. (laughs) You were in the weeds as much as me. Well, with Rob, when you had dead tech, we would just make sure that there was a lot of cheap beer. Yes. And you also did it super regularly. Mm. And it was wide open. The thing that I really remember is you would talk to somebody just as enthusiastically if they were the only one that showed up. (laughs) So there there were shows that were like wall-to-wall armpits. And it was just sweaty and nasty and just like completely packed like a big party. And there were times, because you'd also run open hours. Mm-hmm, yeah. So there were times it was just totally dead. But it, I felt like your enthusiasm was undiminished regardless. And it really didn't take, you know, like a couple cases of beer and some pizzas. I mean, between you and me and Alexander, or mm-hmm. like however we split it up, mm-hmm. it didn't cost the originators all that much. Although it really depended on you you know, having a space that you were supplying with rent. I mean, you already live there. Right. If you had all that stuff together, so if you get some youngish people that don't mind having to build their own shower out of scraps of drywall they dug out of the trash, as I assume you did, right? then, like, you can make the party happen. And if the party's happening, then you can sneak in the vegetables with the goodies and then have, you know, weird-ass shit there. And so maybe I'm underselling the degree to which you built a community that way. But it, it seems, it's just like, go for it particularly for young people, you know? Jason, what would be your thing? Again, it's the same sort of thing. It's don't think about it too much. Oh, yeah, that's good. I think when I did it, one of the things that made Enemy really different, and, you know, mileage may vary on this, but my attitude was I really wanted it to be about the music and have a place that was welcoming for the weird stuff that I like that doesn't necessarily always have a home other Mm -hmm. places. Yeah. And... My attitude at the time, and I think still is, is I've never been a huge like party person. Not that there's anything wrong with it or I have any issues with that, but I was like, there are plenty of spaces in town where you can go to a show and there's a party. And the party is more important than the bands that are playing. And that was the only thing for me is the music's first. And if a party happens, cool. But I want to be the place that the bands want to play, that the PA works. That was a big thing for me. (laughs) The places that were noise welcoming in 2004. Noise positive. (laughs) Nine times out of ten, you'd show up and maybe the PA worked. Maybe there was a PA. Sometimes there wasn't. I got really lucky. Some guy just handed me his PA and said, you know, why don't you use this instead of booking stuff at my house? (laughs) Uh, what was what was that guy's name i Mm, I don't know (laughs) i think that's something too is don't think about it too much but know what your priorities are yeah i think it's easy to think of oneself as not having that much to offer a creative community in my case i happen to live in a space that people could be loud in and that is a really great place to start but what i realized quickly 
was with art and technology work and sound-based work. The setup time for that work is usually incredibly long. Mm -hmm. People really want to invest a lot of time installing work and getting it to work right and all that kind of stuff. That's true also for sound performance as well. Jason, you, you mentioned this, like having good tech like good speaker system and not a great speaker system but just a decent one makes you competitive with any other arts org just one that works yes one that works yeah if it works and it's in stereo yeah already you're in like the top 80 percent of <laughs> of spaces so i realized that one of the things that tech could offer is if an artist wanted to spend three weeks installing their work before a show that's actually something that's super easy for me i just duplicate the key give it to them and they do that where no other venue in the city could do that, right? Because they just, that's just not how they're set up. And so once I figured out, oh, I have something to offer, it made it really easy for me to feel good about it and to feel like I should be proud about what I'm doing. The second thing I would say is shout out to Philip Bonsweck. Philip Bonsweck taught me how to mop. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the most valuable skill I've gotten in my, in my art career. Is... Welcome to another episode of Dirt Removal with Robert Rivers. Yes, that's right. That's right. I'm really into dirt removal. But if you look up, there are YouTube videos that show you how to mop. Uh, it's a really great technique. It's really efficient. It happens really quickly. And it actually makes you want to mop. No, wait, paint us a word picture. So mopping was my first job as a youth. I didn't really think about it as very technique heavy. Yes. Are you talking about like wringing it out and going back for a second pass doing like the S curves? Yeah. I was a swab the deck style mopper, which is... Not what you want to be. Like in a 1950s uh, movie? <laughs> That's right. You push the mop out in front of you, and then you pull it back, right? That's, oh, Rob yeah. Ray. I know. No, I know. I'd only seen mopping on TV. This is like my middle-class lifestyle. Just <laughs> It's your privilege talking. <laughs> yeah. But So I just thought, like, that's how you mop. You push the mop, and then you pull the mop. And he was like, Rob, what are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, that's that's not how you mop. He's, I think Philip worked in a grocery store or something. Whole Foods, yeah. Okay, yeah. You hold the mop and you kind of sway back and forth with your hips in a kind of infinity loop kind of vibe. And then you just walk backwards and the mop just follows you backwards. You're thinking of Latin mopping. Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, like laying down a welding bead. Welding bead, yeah. It's the same kind of thing. Well, I got to get Philip to demonstrate this for me. He's the academic manager at my workplace. PVZ, he uh, he contains multitudes. Yeah. Philip's a good example in this, like talking about starting space, running a gallery out of his office. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. D-gallery. Really great point. So I think a lot of it, yeah, is that it's better to just start running than it is to uh, lose energy in the figuring it out. Yep. Waiting for someone to, to get what you're doing. It takes a long time. Yeah. And people will show up. That's the other thing that I found. Maybe one day. Well, you know, just like you were saying about Dead Tech, Taylor, like the first show I did, there were like 130 people <laughs> nice. at the show. <laughs> yeah. And it was just me. And I was like, what have I done? Uh -huh. In 2004, <laughs> pre-social media, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. And it was wall-to-wall -wall people. The next show, two nights later, there were like two people that weren't playing. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh, right you know and it, and it was that through the entire decade of doing shows there there were shows that were packed and there were shows that was like it's me and one of my roommates and mm. one person that wandered in off the street yep you never know what it's going to be and it's kind of luck of the draw i mean for us it was kind of cool that we were in a we had a space in a central location and that a lot of people went to anyways right we were there at a good time 
And we averaged, you know, 20 to 30 people at a lot of the shows. We got away with advertising a lot in ways that mm-hmm. a lot of other spaces wouldn't have been able to do once. Mm-hmm. We used to get reader write-ups. Yeah, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, shout, shout out to Good Entertainment Weeklies, of which there aren't many left. Because that no. I felt the same way, Jason. Like, really good writers at an Entertainment Weekly magazine really help get the word out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we haven't introduced ourselves. Perhaps we Put should. No, we haven't. Yeah. And then also, um, it would be great, Jason, to talk about your current work um, as a as a awesome sound yeah. person. Yeah. And who's going to edit this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Welcome to Opposable Thumbs, a podcast where Taylor and Rob chat with creative people of all kinds about their accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Jason Soliday is our guest this episode. Greetings, Jason. Hello. My name is Rob Ray. I use he, his gender pronouns. I'm a user interface designer, and I make art and music using the name Shimmering Trash Pile. I like, I like how you hit all kinds, man. I can tell you're working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, DIY enthusiast, cab cam evangelist, creative. Uh, I lost my train of thought. No to tell person. I'm a he, his kind of guy. <laughs> Jason Soliday, uh, musician and artist, I guess is probably the easiest way. Uh, and uh, editor of uh, Opposable Thumbs nowadays, mm-hmm. I right. guess. Uh, We're super so thankful. Yes. Coming out from behind the desk here for a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, he, his pronouns too. I, you used a word that I, I may get wrong, which is, I'll let you describe it. I'll, um, I think it might've been the word generative, but I'm not sure, but it was, okay. it's the type of, some of the work you've been making lately feels like it's been, it's kind of related and has some overlappingness to it in how you make the work. And I was, uh, through your kind of sound composition process. Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe describe your current work for people who maybe haven't heard what you do so they could get a sense of what it's like. Uh, as, as far as, I, I guess when you're talking about practice, you're talking about like some of the, the recent stuff I've released. And things yeah. Like that. Yeah. Here's, here's some examples I'll um, give, which also um, we can share links to in the show notes. Like um, music for a speech synthesis, for example, I think of as you, it's sort of nine tracks where you're kind of working through a, what feels like um, a kind of handful of sound manipulation processes that are creating these nine tracks. And then you also have like um, maybe your most recent um, album. Uh, pulse machine xor moves um Mm -hmm. which is you sort of again pursuing this sort of what feels like a similar approach with a single instrument across 12 tracks those those two do have that in common that i didn't even i didn't even really thought about that (laughs) okay okay cool cool. Uh and the funny thing is 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 that i wouldn't call that my oh interesting normal way of working although although that that kind of thing has been appear has always been there and has been playing more of a, a, a role lately and yeah uh i guess generative is a term that works uh, uh-huh, to uh-huh. a certain extent uh so even early on when i started out uh doing like electronic music and experimental sound stuff things like that 
I was always working with a certain amount of uh, chance operations or, mm. or aleatoric mm -hmm. things. Uh, circuit bending mm -hmm. was kind of where I started to where, you know, you don't always know what you're going to get. You might know a range of things. I have a rough idea of what's going to happen, but there's also a certain amount of not necessarily accident, but there's, but, but it, the, the instruments that I choose play themselves as much as I play them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes my role is always to push them in one direction or the other. Okay. Nice. Or say, Hey, uh -huh. Hey, I don't like where you're going. Um, you know, come back over here and there, and I have all sorts of weight. I could, you know, talk for a couple hours about that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. If it was just, just on technique and just on, on, on playing and, 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 reacting to what's happening mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so like you know when we, we were doing other presets it was all circuit bent stuff like that and and some computer things mm -hmm. feedback mm -hmm. as a as a as a you know technique too and all of that stuff still plays a role in what i do now and a lot of what i do now is either hardware modular synthesis or the same kind of thing in software and it's building things that that play themselves to a certain extent and have a have a, a voice or voices that are that are involved and a lot of my input is nudging the system like i said earlier and i have i usually build into my patches and things like that various places to inter, intervene one of one of my pieces of advice to people doing this and i've said this to you know friends and other people that when we're talking about music and that is always have something that you know exactly what it's going to do <laughs> that nice. you can switch to uh -huh. it because uh -huh. invariably especially in live situations if something's going to go wrong it's 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 going to go wrong and a lot of my early experiences doing stuff like that you have a computer on stage it's going to crash you just knew it and i wanted something where i could keep playing mm -hmm. um and in those days, it was even just a bare cable plugged into an empty mix mixer channel that I could put my thumb in and short it out to ground mm -hmm. <laughs> and make a big 60 cycle drone. Um, but it was always having a sort of a safety net. I think the big thing with presets, and I, I don't know if you felt this way too, Rob, but was always like, if everything is a mistake, then nothing is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was yeah. like, if something happens, that's, we great... just, that's yeah. what we're going to ride with. And that's kind of kind of been my approach to a lot of things but but getting back to what you were asking rob the music for speech synthesis and then and then the the recent one which is all uh Benjolin, mm -hmm. uh which is a specific electronic instrument um both uh music for speech synthesis is all one patch it's uh was built in vcb rack which is a virtual modular environment and can you, can you talk one second just about VCV Rack? Because I think people will be interested in it. It's a, it's a modular synthesis environment that basically uh, imitates uh, Eurorack modular synthesizer, which is just a hardware synthesizer format. Control voltages and audio paths connected by virtual wires. So you have individual components, an oscillator, a, a filter, uh, various control, uh, you know, options it's not max msp you're not mm -hmm. you're not mm -hmm. building the synth from the ground up you've got components already built so the thing i like about that over something like max or super collider is i'm impatient i can build quicker in something like like vcb than i can in in 
max or one of those. It feels like a really interesting way to experiment with molecular synthesis without spending $5,000, you know? I don't, right. I don't know if you would think of it that way, but it's a thing for me, like like the user interfacing of a modular synth is there and the components are there and it lets you kind of understand modular synthesis. It's a, it's a modular synthesis tool, but in software. And that lets you yeah. sort of decide like, well, maybe this is something I would want to make a physical instrument, or maybe it's something I just think is totally interesting as a software tool. Um, okay, the Music for Speed Synthesis patch has, if I remember right, I counted them at, at one point, um, and now I'm not sure I remember, but I believe 14 LFOs, 32 sample and holds. Wow. Um, so if I was going to do that in hardware, even in like your rack, which is relatively small, it's a room full of synths. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And let's not wow. even okay. talk about what, even if I, even if I DIY and built all of that stuff, the time investment and the, uh, uh, monetary investment in it I, i'm not going to do that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. plus i it never leave the house it i'd never use it live but i can do that in, in software environment i see yeah right i'm always trying to ride this line between knowing exactly what i'm doing and having no idea what's what's going on and 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 finding this space in between that's yeah, that space that's in cool. between is what, yeah. what's, what's interesting to me. I would say that's actually legible when you perform. I've, I've seen you perform many times. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to say something that I see and, and I, maybe you can respond to it and then we'll, um, we'll figure out what our next question is. But I think for me, one of the things that it's always been fun about your performances is you have this interest, it seems, in building building a system that this is a very loaded phrase, but I'm gonna say it anyway, that plays itself in a way, right. That it's, Mm -hmm. it's doing a thing. And this is a thing that I think a lot of people don't maybe totally get about electronic music making is that, um, let's say you have a clarinet, right? When you blow in the clarinet, a sound is made. When you stop blowing in the clarinet, the sound is stop is no longer being made. Right. But with, electronic sound creation you can make a thing that is quote-unquote playing itself but that would lead most people to think like that would lead most people to kind of sit there and look at it play itself and i feel like your interest in a thing that plays itself is so that you can like street fight with it you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and that's a very in your like very expressive playing style is then made legible in this really interesting way to the audience because like people can see you wrestling with this thing and you, you have to, and it's a playful wrestling. It's like cat wrestling. You're not trying to dominate it. You're sometimes letting it, you know, bite you. And sometimes you're like holding it down and like tickling it under its arm. You know, it's like a part of virtuosity, you know, is this ability to be able to let the thing do the thing, but also, and, but also push back, on it in a way that feels legible to uh the audience which is something that like you know like a free jazz guitarist that is sort sort of legible in a way in, in an electronic music that's also sort of legible and i just think that's such a great um real like instrument kind of quality to your work that i i always really enjoy i could set it up walk off stage go get a sandwich let it do its thing and come back 
So somebody that just builds a, a generative patch and let, lets it run, there, there's still definitely something, you know, uh, there's still musicianship in that and there's still, still artistry in that. Uh, just that, I don't know, that way of working doesn't, doesn't, doesn't quite click for me. Now, Rob, it reminds me of how we've been talking about 3D printing and other oh, sorts yeah. of processes where, yes. you know, there's nothing harder than setting the stage for something to happen automatically, which is often associated with low effort, but it requires a degree of abstraction up front that's really challenging. I love that, Taylor. That's a great, really great point that, yeah, we've had a number of conversations on the podcast recently about that, um, that, that like setup work, the work that it takes to make something run, quote unquote, is its own art making and that sort of thing. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Listener, we'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker. If you share a podcast episode on social media, rate us on iTunes, send smoke signals or some other cool thing to let people know about the podcast. We will mail you a sticker. Just contact us on Instagram at opposable underscore podcast or at our email opposable podcast at gmail.com we'd like to give a shout out to wesley alice charlene mcbride adam mayer deb chatra bondie hacks nick kantar walter katundu and david bohorn they're our top patreon supporters if you'd like to join them in our league of patreon supported badasses please go to patreon.com slash supposable thumbs to sponsor us anything you can donate really helps keep the podcast going our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. We had a listener make a really cool thing. Dave Bauer, who is uh, both incredibly inspiring and incredibly prolific, and uh, occasionally checks in with us um, about the show. It's really cool that... He made marketing decrepitude. It was um, what's the word when you carve out block print? Line block of print. Cut. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you had a conversation with with David, right, about it? Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. um, he um was thinking about making prints, and so I was yeah. discussing doing a trade with him or something like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we should do a trade. Uh, I get in on that. Yeah, it's 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 nice when we can actually yeah get in touch. I mean, to Jason's earlier point about the pandemic starving us for, you know, we're starved for relationships. So. It's always just super delightful when you realize, oh, I'm not being catfished. This is someone who genuinely wants to <laughs> talk about an idea. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Jason, did, do you have any anything that you want to share with folks, things that you think are cool, upcoming shows? Cranksatory.bandcamp.com. Cool. Uh, com. Yes. Uh, is my personal website, cool. uh, although sometimes I'm a little slow to slower than I should be to update that. I have a new tape, which is the first physical media that I've had out um, in over a year uh, on a label called Traced Objects out of Maine. Mm. Oh, that's cool. How, how do people get that? It's tracedobjects.bandcamp.com. Uh, okay, cool. I have to just call you out, Jason, because you're like, I don't really have anything going on. And you're like, well, I have actually two brand new releases. <laughs> just Satram, Satram gives me a hard time about that all the time. Taylor, what um, what are you up to these days? This project I've been talking about for quite some time. We um, we're finally getting it out on Instagram, and we're oh, going to cool. be streaming a performance. The collaboratives uh, on a piece called "Fine with This," and the performance will be April second on Twitch. But you can uh, follow Instagram right now, fine underscore with underscore this for more Ooh. information. And um, I've had to really improve my Python chops. So the stuff I'm working with right now is um 
multi-threading and I really got into this Python library called Curses that lets oh, you do yeah. nice. uh, GUIs directly in the terminal. So that's kind of where my where my head's been right now. That's awesome. Taylor, mm-hmm. kudos. That's really cool that you're, yeah, that's cool. It's like a whole Thanks. other planet, isn't it? Oh, have you messed cool. around with it? No, I just, you know, that stuff would come up a lot at JPL and, you know, like there's oh, a yeah. lot of, like a lot of people really like that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it feels it's a particular kind of nerd for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. That's really cool. I have been up to only one thing. My first Instagram story at Taylor's um, provocation. I have to say, Taylor has been egging me on to actually go public with some of the stuff that I'm doing. You I can got say new, nagging. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, nagging. Yeah, yeah. I got a new drum machine. Uh, it's a Roland uh, TR8S. I love it. If you are used to using Ableton Live, it's um, a hardware drum machine that is right up your alley. I'm super excited to try um, VC. Is it VCV? VCV or... Rack. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's... I kind of can't believe that's free. I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, really yeah. cool. VCVRack.com. And uh, yeah, hit me up, Taylor, if you need uh, tips or anything. Well, thanks, Jason. Um, and Jason, I guess we'll send you our files. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gig. Uh, All right. Thanks, Sean. It's great right. talking to you. Take care. See you. Okay. Good night.